all. Good morning, Aldridge. Good morning. I do like a nice response now. That's very good. Thank you. And so as we begin today, I thought I'd tell you about my friend Joe. And Joe is 26 years old, like myself, and uh, he studied civil engineering at university. And uh, since leaving uni, that's what he's done. He's a civil engineer. And he phoned me a few weeks ago to tell me that although he's doing civil engineering and he studied it at uni, he's actually not really enjoying it very much. And so I asked him uh, why he studied it at university and why he went on to become a civil engineer. And really, it was because his dad encouraged him to do so. But he finds that most of the time, he's stuck behind a computer um, with very little direct contact, face-to-face contact with clients. And yet, in terms of personality, Joe is a people person. He gets a lot of energy from being with people. And then I said to him, well, have you thought about changing careers, perhaps changing jobs to something you do enjoy? And I found Joe's answer quite sad, if I'm honest, but also something that I don't think is particularly uncommon. I think probably a lot of people like Joe struggle with a similar fear. And Joe said to me that he would think about changing careers, but he wasn't at the place to do it right now in case he made the wrong decision. So he was choosing to spend his time doing something he didn't enjoy in case changing career was the wrong decision and he later came to regret it. So now he's playing it safe. And what we see in our passage today is someone who decides to play it safe. And in our sermon series on 1 Samuel uh, so far, a lot of the time we've been looking at the character of Samuel. And now as Samuel comes towards the end of his ministry, we're moving on to look at some different characters. And today we do look at Samuel, but we're focusing more on the character of Saul, Israel's first king. And Samuel, like Saul, uh, sorry, uh, Saul, like Joe, was someone who decided to play it safe, but for whom it was the wrong decision. Like my friend Joe, uh, Saul is someone who is afraid to take a risk, who is afraid to take a risk just in case it doesn't work out. Uh, Just to recap slightly as to what we've looked at so far in the sermon series on 1 Samuel, we started with looking at Elkanah and and Hannah and uh, the fact that they couldn't have children. And Hannah prays to God and God hears her prayer and grants her a request of a son, Samuel. And as a response of thanksgiving, Hannah gives Samuel back to the Lord and Samuel serves God in the temple. And as he becomes a boy, he begins to hear the voice of God. And uh, God uses Samuel as a boy to prophesy against Eli and Eli's sons, priests in the temple. Eli's sons were abusing their positions as priests. As Eli and his sons come to a sticky end, uh, Samuel then becomes leader of Israel, judge of Israel. And uh, as Samuel himself grows older, his own sons begin to abuse their positions as judges of Israel. The elders of Israel then come to Samuel and say, we want a king like all the other nations have. And as we looked at last week, in their request, 
They forget their identity. They forget who they were called to be as a nation. That they were to be a nation unlike the other nations. Whilst the nations around them had kings of their own, Israel was to have one king only, and that was to be God himself. And uh, between last week and this week, God has said to Samuel that he's to tell the people what this king would be like if they were to have a king. And Samuel does this. And he tells the people that the king they want would be someone who would make the people his slaves. Well, Samuel and the other judges were called to serve the people, Samuel says that if they get a king, that king will make the people his servants. Nevertheless, God, in his grace, grants them their request for a king, even though that request in itself is a turning away from God. And uh, God tells Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. And at this point so far, Saul does not understand why he is to be the first king of Israel. He's confused by this. And he says to, to Samuel in chapter 9, verse 21, Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe in Israel? And is not my clan from the least of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you say such a thing to me? But God is a God who can bring good out of bad decisions. He wants to redeem us and our past, redeem decisions that we make that perhaps weren't decisions that were made in in, in align with God's will. Nevertheless, God can bring it about and bring his will about through wrong decisions that we make. Israel may have turned their back on God by demanding a king apart from God, but as God redeems their situation, he calls Saul to be the people, the person to lead Israel his chosen method to lead the people of Israel. Saul, a nobody as far as he himself is concerned, becomes a somebody. As God calls him, as God redeems him, he also redeems Israel. Saul, the least of all the clans of Israel, of all the tribes of Israel, through the Spirit of God, becomes a somebody. God lifts him up from that lowly position. If you've not got your Bibles open already, do turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10, and uh, we will begin there. 1 Samuel 10. So, Samuel pours a whole jar of oil on Saul's head. And he says to him in verse 1, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And as a confirmation to Saul that what Samuel was saying is correct here, 
Samuel says that a number of signs would come about in verses 2 to 8. He says that as Saul leaves Samuel that day, he would go to, uh, firstly, to Rachel's tomb, where two men would tell him about some donkeys that he'd previously lost. Going on from there, Saul is to go to a place called the Great Tree of Tabor, where three men would offer him two loaves of bread. Saul is to accept these two loaves of bread. Going on from there, he's to go to a place called Gibeah of God. And here at Gibeah, Saul will find a procession of prophets who will be worshipping and prophesying. And Samuel says that as Saul sees these prophets prophesying themselves, the Holy Spirit will fall on Saul and he too will begin to prophesy. And for Saul, this last sign is to be the greatest sign. For us, as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. All of us have access to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given given to particular people to empower them for particular tasks. In this case, Samuel says that Saul is to be anointed by the Holy Spirit to commission him as king of Israel. After this, uh, Saul continues to a place called Gilgal, and he's to wait there for seven days for Samuel to arrive to make some sacrifices. And in verse 9 it says, As Saul turns to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. As the Holy Spirit falls on Saul, he experiences such a transformation But even people who've known him before cannot recognize this is the same person. Such a staggering transformation in Saul's life. Saul, from a nobody, by the Holy Spirit, becomes a somebody. So far, so good. God is redeeming Israel And in the process, he's redeeming Saul. And as God does this, he acts simply in accordance with who he is. Part of God's identity is exactly this, as a redeemer of people. And about a thousand years after Samuel and Saul, in the ultimate act of redemption, Jesus dies on a cross and rises again so that every one of us can be restored to God, so that every one of us can experience the love, presence, and grace of God, that we don't have to be separated from him for eternity. And just as the Holy Spirit lifts Saul, so God, by his Spirit, wants to lift us and redeem us and our past. And all of us have done things in the past that we probably regret to one degree or another. All of us have had things done to us that have hurt us in the past. And just as God redeems Israel from this decision of demanding a king, so God wants to redeem some of those decisions that we have made that perhaps 
haven't been in accordance with how God would have us live. live. He wants to use them and transform them, even for his glory. That through those situations, as awful as they may have been at the time, he would bring about good. That even his kingdom would grow and extend through that. And as we work through some of the pain surrounding those circumstances, perhaps, for example, it might be the pain surrounding a divorce, God can use that and use us to minister to others who are going through similar or the same situations. Every one of us is called to be a minister of God to those around us and those who are also not Christians yet. That's part of what it means to be the priesthood of all believers. And it's often the situations in our lives that have been redeemed that God is most able to use. A divorce can be unbearably difficult, incredibly hard. But if we allow him to, through that, as we begin to work through some of the pain, God can give us an empathy and an authority to speak into other situations of divorce or marital difficulties that perhaps others of us who have not gone through a divorce cannot have. So God redeems Israel's demand for a king and he redeems Saul by making him king in the process. And we jump to uh, the second passage we had read to us today, uh, 1 Samuel 15, 24 to 29. And in the meantime, a number of things happen, including Samuel's farewell speech to the nation of Israel and uh, a number of battles. And I want to take a look at a couple of those things. After Saul is commissioned as king, Samuel says to him that he's to go to a place called Gilgal, and to wait there seven days, after which time Samuel himself would arrive and would offer some sacrifices. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, Saul has arrived at Gilgal. Last week, we uh, looked at the fact that at this point in the Israelite history, they're facing the threat of Philistine invasion. And now, here in chapter 13, this threat is imminent. And uh, verses 6 to 10 of chapter 13 say this. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard, and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the lands of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. At the moment, things are okay. Saul is still at Gilgal. He's still waiting. And as we read this, we want to say to him, hang on in there. Keep going. It's going to be okay. Samuel is going to arrive. The passage continues. He waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel 
did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Saul's men may be beginning to leave him, but it's still okay. He's still waiting. Sadly, this is the point where things begin to change. Saul loses his nerve. Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. It's still the seventh day when Saul takes things into his own hands and makes the sacrifice that Samuel should have been making. Saul looks at the imminence of the Philistine threat and his own dwindling army and he panics. His fear of this surrounding circumstance becomes greater than his fear of God, than his trust in God. The possibility of this Philistine attack with only a small army to fight to Saul becomes more likely and more real than God fulfilling his word through Samuel. And yet, if Saul was to think back only a hundred years, back to Gideon, when Gideon was judge of Israel, a hundred years previously, he would have heard the stories. He would remember that God defeated the Midianites with fewer soldiers than Gideon had in the first place. Gideon had 30,000 soldiers. And God said to Gideon, no, we're going to do this with 300 soldiers. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, God says that the reason he is to have fewer soldiers is so that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Saul does not need loads of soldiers. Saul's issue here is not the number of soldiers on his side. What Saul needs is to listen to God and to obey God. As long as he's on God's side, he's on the winning team. And Samuel says to Saul in verses 13 to 14 of 1 Samuel 13, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Tragic. Saul started out so well. This nobody who God had raised up to become a somebody. And yet he forgot who did it. It was God who raised him up. It's God who's going to sustain him in this position. That's the point. God, not him. 
He thinks he's playing it safe by taking matters into his own hands. In reality, for Saul, playing it safe is waiting for Samuel to arrive and obeying the word of the Lord. For my friend Joe, who is a civil engineer, he's too afraid to look for something else in case he makes the wrong decision. And so he's just playing it safe. He's doing something he doesn't really enjoy. For us as followers of Jesus, in reality, playing it safe is choosing to do what God would have us do and choosing to be where God would have us be. Even if from the outside, that may seem like a scary step to take. As long as God is with us, we're on the winning team. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul once again refuses to listen to God. And uh, as Saul gives an explanation the second time for why he chose not to listen to God, in verse 24 of chapter 15, he says, I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. He may have been afraid of the people, but just like in chapter 13, his fear of the people is greater than his fear of God, greater than his trust in God. For Saul and for us, playing it safe may not mean necessarily doing what seems safest on the outside. As followers of Jesus, God will take us to places that are outside of our comfort zones because we have to be dependent on him. Just like God with Gideon. Perhaps for you, that might be God or God through someone else putting you into a position to lead a meeting that you feel intimidated about. Maybe it's God prompting you to invite someone around for dinner who you don't necessarily feel uh, see eye to eye with. Maybe it's chatting to a neighbour about Jesus. Whatever it happens to be, as we get through that, we will know deep within our hearts that the only way we could have got through that is with Jesus and not on our own. The safest place we can be is wherever God goes. Saul doesn't get it. And as a result, Samuel says to him in verse 26, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And in a prophetic act, Saul grabs the cloak of Samuel as Samuel goes to leave, and the cloak rips. And Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. And the scene is set for David. God can and does redeem our past. 
He brings good out of evil, life out of death, hope out of despair. But as he does so, he wants us to be a people that will look to him and continue to depend on him as the one who has lifted us up and as the one who will sustain us in that place. That we will continue to know that it's him and him alone who sustains us in that place. Following Jesus does mean at times that we will be taken to places outside of our comfort zones where we have to make scary steps. But it's the safest place we can be.